All right, we're in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 3 through verse 12. Uh, probably won't get all of that covered, uh, but that's where we're going to begin reading. Uh, beginning in verse 3, actually I think I'll just pick up verse 1 and we'll work our way down. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered out, uh, scattered throughout Pontius and Galatia and Cappadocia, and Asia and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in that time wherein we uh, ye greatly rejoice Though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth through, excuse me, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom Though now you see him not, ye yet believe, ye uh, rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time that spirit of Christ, which was in them did signify when it testified before, beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister. The things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. I want to look as far as we can tonight in the time that we have in front of us uh, considering this idea of those who have been begotten again, born again, believers. Um, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you, Lord, for this evening, for this opportunity for this time to gather together and study. Lord, I pray that as we come together, we could do so uh, with patience, uh, waiting on you. Lord, I pray that uh, through the blessed Holy Spirit, you would provide illumination tonight and teaching. Father, help us to see more clearly things that we've not seen before. Help us, Lord, as we look at this passage to be looking into our own lives, into our own actions. 
Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to open the Word of God and to share. Lord, I pray tonight that you'd bless our time and strengthen us in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we worked through uh, our introduction, and then we went straight into uh, those first couple of verses, that salutation uh, portion of the epistle, and you'll recall that uh, in the salutation, we noted not only our penman, but uh, our audience, and we considered uh, Peter's calling as well as his congregation and their credentials. In defining his congregation, uh, we included all of those who were of the diaspora of the church, uh, that of the Gentile church and uh, of the Gentile converts, I should say, and of the Jewish con uh, converts, all of those that were born again, that were scattered about the Roman Empire uh, as seed of the church and therefore of the gospel. In that light, we found some commonality between them and us, the church universal, the scattered out all over the world, called by the Father and sanctified by the Spirit and cleansed by the blood of Christ, working as both and at the same time uh, the seeds of God and uh, the sowers and the reapers of the lost, they're sowing, the scriptures would say, in tears and reaping in joy, bringing in sheaves. I mean, that's the commonality between us and these folks. Of course, we spoke last week uh, in a cursory level about the suffering that they would be going through during this time and the persecution they would be enduring. And uh, we've talked a little bit over the last few weeks about eyes on the horizon at what we might see coming our way, and even some of the already psychological and spiritual type uh, persecutions that we experience. Remember this, the theme of this is that uh, believers, that they may endure trials and tribulations with Christian hope and assurance, and that's really where where we want to be as a church and as individual believers that we can endure trials and tribulations with Christian hope and endurance. And these few verses tonight speak directly to that. It is this passage tonight speaking to the born again and why and to what end this salvation works in them and in us. In verse 3, he speaks about the Father, if you will, the Father of our salvation, uh, God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he says there uh, in that first, in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope or a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we recognize uh, several uh, very pertinent avenues of truth uh, right there. Uh, to begin with, I want you to think about the idea of blessed be the God, that statement, that word 
uh, that blessed word, uh, that is a, a, uh, a rightly placed praise to God the Father. We would do uh, well in that place to say, praise and honor and glory be to God the Father of Jesus uh, Christ uh, or of Jesus our Lord. Uh, it is the idea of, of the, the blessed there is the idea of to speak well of. In the Greek, it's the word we get our word eulogy from. Uh, well speaking, uh, 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 reporting of someone's good character. And, and this is a moment of rightly placed uh, praise. It is God who has wrought this work of salvation for us. It is through his abundant mercy. And we would see that as a praise. We would pick up that phrase, his abundant mercy. And that is out of his mercy, out of his kindness, out of his benevolence, out of his love, uh, his mercy, compassion, his pity. That's the idea that, that God has worked this work for us out of love, out of mercy. That thing we didn't deserve, right? Uh, that, that caring for us, loving us while we were yet unlovely, loving us while we were yet sinners, loving us while we were yet at war against uh, the very one he would send to die for us. This idea of, of mercy is preceded by that word there uh, in the uh, King James. It is abundant. Uh, uh, it's it's the, the Greek word polis. Uh, it means many. It's polytheistic, same idea, many gods. It, it's, it's many or, or much or abundant. Uh, it is overflowing. It's, it's that the mercy of God would... Uh, the overwhelming idea that the mercy of God would, would reach us while we were yet sinners. That Jonathan Edwards once said, uh, show me a man that can understand God, uh, excuse me, show me a worm that can understand man and I'll show you a man that can understand God. It's that idea that there's such a vast separation between us yet through his abundant, much, many mercies that he would uh, work for us this work of salvation. And from that, indeed, we would praise uh, God. He says there in that phrase that, that according to his abundant mercy, he hath begotten us again. That is uh, obviously that uh, when he reached us, he would have us to be born again, to be new creatures, a new creation, the second man, that we were uh, once born into sin and iniquity, spiritually dead and destined for that second death, that eternal separation from God. But he's made a way through the shed blood of his dear son that we might be born again, spiritually resurrected, eternally connected to the God who loved us. And wrought that work for us. He's begotten us again. And, and he's begotten us again to a, a lively hope or a living hope. Uh, aren't you glad that he didn't uh, birth us again to the same old miserable hope we had before? 
He's birthed us again to a living hope that we are born again. That, that is a living expectation that we have a, a, a desire and, and a hope and a reasonable expectation that we, the born again, look forward in hope and expectation rather than looking forward in dread and worry. Could I say uh, right there for a moment, uh, the believer should not look forward in dread and worry. That makes no difference. State of the economy, condition of the politic, it makes no difference. A believer should not look forward in dread and worry. Uh, a believer ought not even be acquainted with dread and worry anymore. Many are, and sometimes I am, and sometimes you are, but we should not be. Uh, those ought to be things of the past because we've been born, birthed again to a living hope. And then, of course, he, he finishes that phrase, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And of course... The resurrection is the agent that changes everything. That when we consider uh, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the trials and the beatings and the mockery and the scourging and the crown of thorns and the carrying of the cross and the humiliation and the nails and the sword and the death and the burial, they would be of little value. Were it not for the resurrection. Uh, the resurrection is what brings about that living hope. Uh, the resurrection uh, shows that, that he arose. And we know that he arose of his own volition. On his own power. That he rose, arose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Which are uh, the great enemies. Uh, and he has defeated them. And so as we... Think about this idea uh, that God, uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ, and because of his abundant mercy, has reached out to us and begotten us again unto a lively hope, a living expectation, and he's accomplished that through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that when our faith is placed in the finished, capital, finished, uh, work of the cross, that is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Therein is the gospel, and the hope, and the power. And we receive that new birth, and we can say, uh, Blessed be God and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise His holy name. And so uh, we would see this idea uh, Peter shares here with these believers about the Father of salvation, but he moves right along and he begins speaking in verse four uh, about the fruition, the fruition of our salvation there in verse four, he says, uh, again, uh, we've been born again, begotten again, and it is unto an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. Uh, once again, uh, these truths that we've been begotten again unto a lively hope 
and to an inheritance, this incorruptible inheritance so we can see uh, they're not just incorruptible, but also imperishable. I think there's a couple of perspectives that we can, uh, ways that we can view that, that inheritance. And one is that it, is, it isn't tarnished by any worldliness or carnality. It has no imperfections. Uh, one, one said it had no germ of death in it. It is simply put, all that we think of heavenly things, all of the, the perfection and the celestial beauty and the glory uh, that we have, that inheritance. And there's also the perspective that it is incorruptible in that it is eternal. It will never uh, corrupt. It will never degrade. It will never uh, uh, lessen. It will never perish. It's incorruptible. But he also talks about the idea of being undefiled. It's an incorruptible inheritance, but it's also an undefiled inheritance. That gives the idea of purity and cleanliness and uh, cleanliness and honesty and, and uh, insusceptible disdain or sin. I read a quote this week from Jerome. Everybody knows him, right? JJ's brother. Uh, but Jerome said, there's a lot of truth. The rich man is either a dishonest man himself or the heir of a dishonest man. It's the idea that all that we would work for in this life are the antithesis of incorruptible and undefiled. But all that we would gain in eternity because of the life of Christ are indeed the epitome of incorruptible and undefiled. He, he also says uh, there that it fadeth not away and that it's reserved in the heaven for you, an unfading inheritance. Uh, we could see that again as eternal, uh, but I think there's a, another picture there, that of, of something that never loses its beauty or its bloom or its fragrance, or its allure, it's unfading. It's as desirable after you've held it for a thousand years as it was the day you first touched it. It's unfading. And I think that's a picture of our eternity uh, in the presence of God. As the old song says, when we've been there 10,000 years, we've only just begun. It is the idea that it never fades, it never dims. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, he would talk about the crowns and trophies that men would strive for. And he would say of those that they were corruptible. And he would use this same term, incorruptible, to, to describe the eternal crowns that we strive for. We would know that so much of what we strive for and desire in this life is literally futility. So much of what we strive for is temporal. It is fleeting. It is passing. Peter and Paul would say to us that the born again have an inheritance 
and it's eternal. It's incorruptible and it's waiting for us there in heaven. It's, it's, it's there, reserved. We think about even the good things of this life. And they're fleeting. Even the great accomplishments, they're fleeting. Even the, the, the grand desires, they're fleeting. But those things in glory, they're incorruptible, unfading. They are truly eternal and they are the inheritance of the born again. And we see that the fruition of our salvation is yet to come. We've not held it yet. And yet we've held some glorious things already. But not that. Not that inheritance that is to come. He moves on in verses 5 through 7. And he talks about the faith. The faith of our salvation. You read that verse there. Who are kept by the power of God. Again, we're talking about those who have been begotten again. They've been begotten again to a lively hope. They've been begotten again to an inheritance that is incorruptible, that is, that is un, uh, unfading, that is undefiled, and they've been begotten again in that they are kept by the power of God that's part of that's going on now. Uh, the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein you greatly rejoice. Though now for a season if need be you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth though it be tried with fire. Might be found unto praise and honor and glory. He starts this, this phrase with the idea of those who are. And again, he's speaking of the born again. He's spoken to the past of our salvation, that being the cross and those things that the Father has accomplished for us. He's spoken uh, to the future of our salvation, that being heaven and those things that await us there. And now in these verses, he's going to speak to the present of our salvation, the now, the, the what's going on in this moment. And the very first thing he says is that in this moment, those who have been, got, been begotten again are kept by the power of God through faith. This speaks to uh, the present security of the believer. And you could almost imagine an argument that would uh, uh, would would argue what what good are my treasures that are kept in heaven if I'm left down here to suffer? How will I get them? How can I enjoy them? And the uh, the apostle Peter simply uh, says, uh, "Listen, you're kept, you're held here and now by the power of God. You're you're ready to be revealed when He's ready for you." There's a, a lot in that statement. To be revealed in that last time. Uh, we know 
That sanctification is progressive. And uh, you and I who deal diligently in seeking to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ understand the difficulty of a progressive sanctification. Uh, would to God it would just be done. But it won't. Uh, not here and now. And, and we deal with that and often we, we might even have uh, feelings that, Lord, I, I don't want him to see me today. But this is the truth. He sees you seated already in the heavenlies. He sees you completed. He sees you sanctified, wrapped in the robe of Christ, covered, washed in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if it's your day, you'll be ready to be revealed. He'll make it right. That moment is, is that, we are, that we are ready and, and we're being kept. This, again, is speaking of the idea of the sealing of the Spirit. And Paul would say that we're sealed under the day of redemption. There's two perspectives of, of that sealing as well. There is that picture of uh, an owner's seal that marks you as his property. It's a, the idea of earnest money. And so you've been marked by God uh, with the Holy Spirit so that you know when he comes back, he's going to get you. He's going to take you with him. But there's also a picture of, of the literal sealing of the Holy Spirit. Much the way the ark was pitched within and without. With slime. That would separate those within the ark. From the wrath of God that was without the ark. And in truth the greatest type there is. That the ark is a picture of Christ. In that anyone in the ark. Were protected from the wrath of God. And so all who are in Christ. Are protected from the wrath of God. But the pitch was a picture of the Holy Spirit. Sealing. And, and, and protecting. And keeping. He, he also says. Uh, in that. Uh, very passage wherein you greatly rejoice. And there's uh, two directions there. But what are we greatly rejoicing in? Well, uh, immediately we would say, well, we're greatly rejoicing in the idea that we're kept by the power of God. And there's rejoice worthy material there. Certainly that. Because of the assurance of the keeping of the Holy Spirit. That sweet assurance that only the born again believer can possess. There is no consternation about what tomorrow holds. No worry about eternity. No fear of the great unknown. Because the great unknown is in the hand of the omnipotent creator God. Whose I am. And I'm kept by his power. And so whatever it is. It's got to be good. I always uh, like to think that there's nothing that can happen today that eternity can't or won't fix. I can have a horrible day, but eternity will take care of it. It's going to go away in eternity. Paul would say, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I'm in the hands of God and no man can pluck me out. I'm kept. I've always wanted to be a kept man. 
I guess I am. Kept by the power of God. There, there's, a, there's a parenthetical phrase there, though, and this kind of points the other direction, wherein you greatly rejoice. Then he goes on to say, the trial of your faith. He talks about this being heavy and many, and then it's for praise and honor and glory. And this is the truth, that we rejoice even though we may, at the time, be in heavy and manifold difficulties, we still rejoice. We must. We should. We're kept by the power of God. God's doing a work in our life. And uh, James would say, count it all blessing. It's the same idea. It's the same statement. Paul would say this, this light affliction is but for a moment. Peter says, Look, wherein rejoice that even though you're going through a hard time, even though there's struggle, and keep in mind, their hard time, their struggle was Paul's beheading. Uh, their struggle was Peter would be crucified upside down, they say. Their struggle was believers were being lit and used as human torches. And Peter would say, look, rejoice in that. And we, we are wimps. Peter would say, rejoice in that difficult because glory awaits. But we've raised an entire generation that seems to believe it's above pain and suffering. There should not be. A hard time. There should not be dues to pay. There, there should not be any of those things. It, it should just be uh, what Junior Hill say. Gee whiz and hallelujah. And it's not. I'm sorry to report. He would shift gears in verses 7 and 8. And talk about the, the focus of our salvation. And that focus is the appearing. Of Jesus Christ. There in verse 7 he says. Uh, At the appearing of Jesus Christ. That's when your trial of faith is going to pay off. Is at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen ye love. In whom though now you see him not. You believe. You rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We think about the focus of our faith, and that is indeed what it should be, the appearing of Jesus Christ. The appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul would write in the book of Hebrews that, wherefore seeing you're so uh, compassed about so great a cloud of witnesses, what did he say? Run your race with patience, keeping your eyes on Christ. And then he would, he would point to Christ on the cross and say, he endured the cross, despising the shame for the glory that was set before him. And Peter would come here and say, listen, I know things are going to be difficult. Things are hard. Things are troublesome. But focus on the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus would say, that blessed hope. That's the focus of our faith. It's the idea that we're looking for the appearing of the Lord. And, and certainly for, for most, the appearing is going to be the rapture. But there are those 
who will experience the appearing of the Lord today. There are those who've experienced it in the last few days. Ronnie Helan, Pastor Dr. Ronnie Helan, experienced it last Thursday. Brother Larry Youngblood, two sisters, one in October to COVID, another one yesterday to COVID. They've experienced that appearing of the Lord Jesus. We have family that experienced it this year. It's, it's that, that moment that we're, we're focused on being in the presence of the Lord. And when we are in his presence, we will at long last be conformed unto his image. It'll be finished. We'll uh, know as we are known and, and all will be right because of that. Because of that truth, we persevere, we endure, we work through difficulties, knowing that with every passing day, we're a day closer to the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. He also says in this passage that rejoice, we rejoice because of him. That is even now. For them, even in the midst of that struggle, they rejoice because of him. And, and not a little rejoice, but a rejoicing with joy, full of glory, unspeakable joy. He makes two statements there and will be done. Him who you've not seen but love. That is, the believer knows the Savior and this knowing is better than a visual image. It is a heart knowledge. It is a connection. He lives in us. He lives through us. We live because of him. And we love him even when we have yet to see him. And then he says, and even though you can't see him, you believe. And the believer Cannot put eyes on the Lord, but we can sure put our heart on him. We can put our faith on him and we can base our actions on him. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, talking about this old temple, this old body, this old tent that we'll lay down one day, makes the comment that, that here we walk by faith and not by sight, but there's going to come a day when that sight limitation will be removed. And you see him face to face. And all that we've uh, re known will, will pay. And knowing that, that that sight limitation will be removed. That, that there will be a day when we'll be in his presence. Knowing that to live is Christ, as Paul would say, and to die is gain. And Paul would say, or excuse me, Peter would say, Rejoice because you've been born again. Next week, I want us to finish this section. We'll look at the future of our salvation and the foretelling of our salvation. But for now, can I challenge you to turn your eyes upon Jesus? The song says, look full, look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth 
trials and tribulations, politics and pandemics will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you for the truths that you've shown us tonight. Lord, I, God, I pray you'd help us to walk accordingly, to live by them. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.